Why maybe did the hearers respond the way they did? Christ said, even before Abraham was, I am. They wanted to kill him. Why did they respond that way? Think about those things. Ask those questions of a passage. And then, of course, who, what, where, when, why? Why did the author write the book? Some of them tell you. Some of them, it's, we don't know. Um, we know they were inspired. That's about all we know in some books. How does the book or passage point to Jesus? How does it glorify God? Or how does it apply to my life today? Ask those questions about what you're looking at. Once you have good observation, you can begin to interpret. Now that I know what it says, I can begin to figure out what it means because I've got this context in my mind and I know he's not talking about an elephant trunk, he's talking about a tree trunk. Once you understand um, the context then, and it's, it, it's best then for interpretation to let scripture interpret scripture. Where are other places in Scripture that talk about what this passage is talking about? Let it guide you, because the Holy Spirit knew exactly what he was doing when he inspired this writing. Um, check out parallel passages. Uh, look at other uses of the key words in your passage. How, how are they used in other places by this author? How are they used in other places in the same testament? How are they used... Um, throughout the book. You look, you look into the culture of the time, the history, the grammar, the context, and whether it's literal or figurative. Is this a figure of speech? Or is this really telling you Jesus is a door with a handle and all that stuff you can open and close? Think about those things. You can usually figure out if it's relevant to the modern church or it was just talking about a particular group of people back in the day it was written by looking at these things. Many teachers of today um, jump right into the interpretation and haven't really taken time to observe what the text is saying. This leads to many errors and is often the method used by people who proof test, proof text, okay? Here's what I think the Bible says. Where are the verses that prove my point? That's proof texting. You don't do that. You go to what does the Bible say about that topic? Um, it's, it's taking an idea or a concept that you have and looking for Bible verses to prove it. Most cults do this, and many popular teachers will do that. And it's surprising some that are often pretty good handling the word in some areas are out to lunch. They're not looking at what scripture says. What you learn from the study always needs to be consistent with the content and the context of the passage and all of scripture. If you ever find discrepancies, well, this doesn't match that, then you need to keep digging because you don't have it right yet because God's word is totally consistent. And after you've interpreted, you've observed what the text says, you interpret what it's saying, then you can apply it. Now I have a good understanding of what it says. I have a good understanding of what it means. What does it mean to me, is the question you would ask. How do I apply it? 
Um, it's way too common today for modern church teachers to misinterpret a passage because they didn't carefully observe what Scripture says in its original language. Then you take that misinformation and you teach a false application. Let me give you some examples of that. The inappropriate use of gifts, prosperity theology, um, what are some of us? Divorce and remarriage, homosexuality and gender identity, and so on. People are taking scripture and making it say what they want it to say. It's not ha- handling it accurately. This almost always leads to misapplication and undermines the very authority of scripture. What they are teaching simply isn't true. So, results of study. What what should the results be? Over the years, I've been a believer. I've read the Bible many times. Every time going through the Bible, I see things I either haven't seen before or I see things that have a whole new relevance in my life. (laughs) A good example of that is we've studied through Revelation four times in this body over the years. Once in a a home Bible study, and then three times Jack presented it from the pulpit here um, through the years. Every time we've done that, I've learned something new. I found fresh insights into Scripture. I've found fresh things, fresh things and understandings I didn't get previously. But they mean something to me at this point in my life. You can't wear it out going through it over and over and over. It just constantly grows. It's, it's amazing. Some people have actually complained to me about repeating a study. Oh, we've been through that. I don't want to go through that again. That's something very discouraging to any teacher, by the way. And it gives insights into your lack of understanding of the importance of the word of God in our lives. If you're in a strong relationship with Christ, it's profitable to you every time you study it, every time you go through it. So I want to show you some slides I've made to introduce some study tools and to give you some examples of what I'm talking about. As we go through the slides, try to catch the basics because it can really seem overwhelming if you're not familiar with these things. I'm a dirt forester. I got it. I'm getting it. I'll put it that way. I'm not there yet. I'm still learning how to study the Bible. And it's fascinating. The time really flies when I'm doing that. Um, But if you're like me, you'll just have to start with baby steps. That's where I had to start, and I'm still taking them. But I am learning some things as we go. And I find that you will, I'm, I'm sure you will find that learning to use these tools is very rewarding. I know I have. Um, let's, let's look at the slides for a bit, and then we'll come back. Um, and I'll wrap things up. So, <clears throat> you want to go ahead and catch the lights, Mark? Yeah, I want people to be able to sleep in peace. So, I'm going to give a, a quick overview on some tools that are available out there, okay? First of all, there's books. And you can buy... You know, Bible knowledge commentaries, 
uh, expository dictionaries, interlinear Bibles, books about the Bible, figures of speech used in the Bible, uh, treasury of scripture knowledge. Um, treasury of scripture knowledge is where one guy, as he read through a passage, he thought, you know, that reminds me of this passage and this passage and this passage. He doesn't tell you why, but you can look at them and they, it came up in his mind. He just documented everything. Pretty fascinating. There's also books about the Bible. Answers books, um, really good on, on basic, usually Genesis, but other passages. Um, 25 or 30 questions in each book that's addressed. Uh, where, did, where did Abel get his wife? Or where did Cain get his wife? That kind of a thing. Things maybe you haven't thought about, stuff like that. The Genesis record, um, I hit the wrong button. Um, <laughs> just one at a time, please. The Genesis record here, um, a book about just the book of Genesis. It's really thick. It's over in our library. Good, fascinating things. But they're written by men, and they're, they're going to have mistakes. They're going to have misapplications and things like that still can be very useful resources to help you understand the Bible. These are the study aids I use a lot. An exhaustive concordance, an interlinear Greek-English New Testament, a Greek lexicon, and a Vines dictionary. We'll look a little bit at each of these just to show you what they're about. The first, oh, and another thing, there's extra biblical things. This is basic English grammar for language students. Um, it's a concise book on grammar, very handy for those of us who found English class in high school to be teaching us a second language. That was me. I really struggled with English. English, yeah. It, it didn't make much sense to me. There's a tool. Um, Pat and I worked together to put this together. You'll hear... From the pulpit, you'll often hear, well, this is errorist, or this is an imperative, or this is, what is that stuff? I keep one with me when I'm here. I can, I can tell me, they can tell me it's a pluperfect, and that's really different um, in, in the writing of this individual or something like that. What in the world's a pluperfect? Well, you can look it up, and it's got a little definition. It means it will occur. And we use Bible Hub, so we put the red letters in there to match the shortcut letters they use, the abbreviations they use in, in this study tool online. So it's, um, it's just a handy little tool. You can make up your own, or you can, you're more than welcome to use what we've come up with. So let's start with an exhaustive concordance of the Bible. It's essentially a dictionary of the Old Testament, Hebrew, and Aramaic and New Testament Greek words used in the Bible. It's made simple for us to find the words we're looking for and the meanings using our English Bible translation. It's the English words in alphabetical order with their use as they appear in the Bible. What do I mean by that? Well, first of all, you get, one to ma you get an exhaustive concordance that matches your translation you'd like to study from, okay? It'll be a lot easier if you do that. Then, here's what it looks like. Oh, my goodness. Are you overwhelmed yet? Well, you can notice there's some highlighted words 
lots, lots, lot, uh, loathing, or I can't really see what that is. But here's louder and then love. And we're going to be looking at that from what we shared last week a little bit there. In the front of them, there's how to use it. And so when you look at this, you can see these highlighted words, and then you can see something underneath, and then something over here in this column, and something in the right-hand column. Well, here's the main word, like we'll be looking at love. And then the first reference of that is quoted from the scriptures with abandoned, in this case, just being an A, for the land shall be A by them. The location is Leviticus 26:43, and it's 5,800A. Well, that's the number. That's what you're going to look for. That's the Strong's number. We'll look a little bit at that. James Strong took all of the root words in the Hebrew, the Aramaic, and the Greek that appear in the Bible. Now, look at his date. Um, Lived from 1822 to 1894. Let me give you a clue, some of you young folks. There were no typewriters. What's a typewriter? See, No computers, no iPads, no electronic devices whatsoever. He did all this by hand. He alphabetized all of those words um, in the Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek, and then he numbered them, one through whatever, you'll see 8,674 Hebrew and Aramaic roots and 5,523 Greek roots, over 170,000 total words that he numbered in the Bible. Okay? He did this all on paper, pencil and paper by hand, right? Um, A lot of the modern Old Testament uh, concordances will often separate the Hebrew and Aramaic, but... um, Not all of them do that. So look at this a little closer. You can see this is the word, this is a chunk out of the uh, concordance on loved, L-O-V-E-D. And you can see the Old Testament references are what I call block letters. The New Testament are all italicized. They all lean to the right, okay? So you know these are Hebrew or Aramaic, so you know what part of the book to look them up in. These are Greek. And um, as we look at another passage here, I highlighted the ones from John 21 where we talked about Jesus asking Peter, do you love me? Peter says, Lord, you know I love you. And you'll notice we've got two words for love. That's interesting. We'll look at that a little more. So... Here's, um, here's what, okay, you go to this number 25. We'll look at that one. And here's 25 in the Greek dictionary. I'm not in the Hebrew. You got, that's the first thing you got to do. If you go to the wrong one, it's all in that big concordance. Um, get to the right section. Here's agapao. This is the Greek letters. This is the transliteration or the English equivalence to make it say the word right, if you will. So agapao means to love. That's about all you're going to get out of, the, out of the concordance is a very brief definition. It shows you that it's translated seven times as beloved, uh, once 
with beloved capitalized, hmm, probably referring to Christ, once felt the love, once, or 80 times it was translated love, 34 times translated loved, and 20 times translated loves. And then you have, that's the verb form, then you have agape, says from 25, so you can always kind of tell back where the, the word came from, it means love or goodwill, and here's how it's, it's translated love 113 times, and that kind of a thing. So we, we, uh, we looked at that already. You can see uh, how many times it's translated in each one of those English words. You can go look them up um, and see what verses they come in so you can use it backward and forward if, if you follow my drift. So if you want to have a better understanding of the meaning, you can go to a vines. Um, it's a good place. He expanded on the definitions relevant to different passages. And you see that. This is William Edwy Vine, 1873 to 1949. He may have actually been able to use a typewriter. But anyway, um, he's best known for his work, Vine's Expository Dictionary of New Testament Words. Um, this lexicon traces the words of the King James Version of the Holy Bible back to their ancient Koine Greek root words and to the meanings of the words for that day. Um, here's what he has on love, agapao, and he says, agapao and the corresponding noun, agape, um, present the characteristic word of Christianity and since the spirit of revelation, meaning the Holy Spirit, has used it to express ideas previously unknown. It throws but little light upon its, oh, uh, into its use, whether in Greek literature or in the Septuagint, which is a translation of the Old Testament into Greek by um, the um, Jewish leaders, uh, throws little light upon its distinctive meaning in the New Testament. They say, we, we really don't know that much about love, what it really means but it's very distinct and you can begin to learn what it means by how it's used. He goes on to say, love can be known only from the actions it prompts. God's love is seen in the light of his son. We see that in 1 John 4, 9 and 10. But obviously this is not the love of complacency or affection. That is, it was not drawn out by any excellency in its objects. Plain modern English, we're not very lovely people. Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's where he gets what he said from. Then he also tells you where he gets the next statement from. It was an exercise of the divine will and deliberate choice made without assignable cause, save or accept that which lies in the nature of God himself. And he references Deuteronomy 7, 7 and 8. The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any of the peoples. For you were the fewest of all peoples. He's talking to the Israelites. But because the Lord loved you, and what? He kept the oath which he swore to your forefathers. That's why he loved them. He promised Abraham he would do some things for the, his offspring. So anyhow, can just help you get some flavor and insights into what he's being talked about here with love. Lexicon comes from the Greek word lexicon 
which means of or for words. It's like a dictionary. It's alphabetic with the meanings included, and it also has some other information. So we look at that briefly. Uh-oh, it's all alphabetized in the Greek. Oh, here's agapao, and you can see agapato and agapate. The suffixes and prefixes on the words tell you a lot about the words. They, they tell you, I don't understand the terminology. I told you I don't. Um, but it can tell you that it's a sec- this is written in second person, plural, present tense, subjunctive. Wow, okay. A lot of information crammed in that little bit of information. And he gives you some, um, some definition here and sometimes references um, where you can see examples of how it's used that way. It can also be a very handy tool. Um, so in this case, we're looking at a Greek lexicon. So here's the Greek alphabet. And we learned it in our homeschooling by singing Jesus Loves Me. Alpha, beta, gamma, delta, epsilon, zeta, eta, theta. And so, you know, you can go right through and you can learn the Greek alphabet. So I can't remember what they look like sometimes, but I can remember where they fit in the alphabet by singing the little, the little song. And this kind of a thing tells you the English equivalent and maybe how the vowels sound. Um, can be a handy little thing. They also have similar things for the Hebrew. Well, now that's a lot more complicated language. Look at the second letter of the Hebrew alphabet. It can either be bet or vet, depending on if there's a little dot in the little box there. I'm not there yet. So part of being diligent in handling the word of God is paying attention to the details. The jots and tittles are very important. Well, those are little punctuation marks, we might call them, like the dot I just showed you. Compare the following statements. The panda eats shoots and leaves. Or the panda eats shoots and leaves. I did? No. Those are shoots. Stems, trunks, remember? (laughs) The first one is a cute little black and white bear in China that eats bamboo shoots and leaves, right? The second one sounds like some nefarious no-goodnik with Batman. The panda, he comes into the restaurant, he eats, then he shoots a place up, and then he leaves. Punctuation makes a huge difference. The dots, pay attention when you're doing your Bible study. These things, um, as you catch on, you'll see more and more just how helpful it is to understand the details. So there are electronic Bible study tools. I put these references in in the bulletin, in your notes there. Uh, There's two of them that that Pat and I use really commonly. Uh, The men's study on Friday night and the women's study on Friday nights, they they use these tools uh, commonly. Um, I might note right now, men, if you're interested, I'm more than happy to help you get exposed to these things, show you how to use them. They're free online tools. They do appreciate something now and then uh, to help pay their costs as a donation. But um, uh, two, two of them will talk about the Blue Letter Bible and Bible Hub. Um, 
We'll go to the Blue Letter Bible. I'm showing the current version first. They also have a classical version. Pat likes to work with the classical. I like the current version. It's got some handy little things. You can see it defaults to King James Version. Um, but all you need to do is put in the reference you're looking for, if you know it. You can put in just a book, or you can put in a chapter and verse if you want. And then you can tell it which translation you want to look at. I like working with New American Standard 95. So then when you get there, you'll notice I've got NASB 95. And these are actually two images. The, the, the top one, 2 Timothy 2.15, I didn't have the Strong's number checked or the Strong's box checked. And so it's just the verses. Really handy when you're just trying to get through. You can also, uh, it doesn't show this right here, but it'll also read the Bible to you. You can put that on while you're doing other things. Very nice. Um, and then this, this second image, the lower two verses here, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, I had clicked Strong's and you see G3956. That's uh, G for Greek. If it's an Old Testament verse, it'd be H for Hebrew or A for Aramaic. And it gives you the number. And you can just click on that number and it'll, it'll take you to those numbers. Um, so here's our John 21 passage we talked about last week, how Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? Do you are you sacrificially devoted to me? Peter says, Lord, you know I phileo you. I like you like a brother. It's a different form of love. Um, and you can see that in these numbers, G25 versus G5368. And so we don't see that. You won't, I haven't found an English translation that delineates those. They all use the word love. I don't know why that is, but to me it adds color. It adds richness. It adds depth to this passage to know Jesus is asking him, do you love me unconditionally? And Peter is replying with, yeah, Lord, I, I definitely, I'm very endeared to you. I, you know, I, I love you like a brother, man. Big difference. Oh, what I wanted to point out, um, got the Strong's letters, you got the NASB. Over here, you can listen to the Bible. This is where it'll uh, read the, the chapter to you, if you would like. Uh, you can also get it in red letter. Just clicking those little buttons, it'll, it'll do those. Very handy tool if, if um, once you get into it and get, get to using it. These little tools things here, you click on them and it gives you, interlit, you can call up interlinear, you can call up other Bible versions, you can call, call up cross-references, commentaries, dictionaries, miscellaneous or things like maps, um, hymns based on that verse, things like that. So it's just really rich, involved um, software and it, it's free. Very easy to call up and use. Here's the classic version, blbclassic.org. And uh, it's got the same kinds of things. You can show strongs. Um, you've got these, instead of the word tools, you've got similar uh, ranking or uh, organization of the references that you can call up. And um, again, 
it's handy. Like I said, Pat kind of likes that one. So when you, you call it up and you click on Agape uh, 25, uh, in the Greek, you can see Strong's G25. Um, it'll show you the transliteration, how you would use English letters to understand it. It'll pronounce it for you if you have speakers. It tells you what part of speech it is, where it comes from. Etymology is history of a word. Um, and it has vines. You can click on that and view the entry in vines. Well, if you do that, here's what you get. Vines Expository Dictionary of the New Testament just pops up, and you have all the vines referenced right there. Um, we've talked about what it does. It also gives you outline of biblical usage. These are the different ways that word is used. Authorized version, translation count. 142 times it's in King James. Um, 135 of them translated love, one time, or seven times beloved. And uh, then it shows you the Strong's definition. You got Thayer's lexicon, lexicon. If you do nothing else, scroll down to the Strong's definition of the word. Then you can always answer yes when asked if you looked up the word. Right? So Thayer's, it's a lexicon. It gives you lexicon type things. Um, again, as you get used to this, this stuff is so helpful. So many things. Then you've got concordance results using New, New American Standard. Let's repeat it up here just so you can see. It gives you a summary, uh, how many times it occurs in the New American Standard, which is the one I had translated. And then it gives you all those references. And you can see there's five pages. Um, the first page is Matthew 5.43 to John 10.17. And again, you can turn on and off the Strong's numbers as you're looking at those. Very handy. You can see where other people or other places where that writer has used that word. Really helps you understand a word. Now we'll look at the other one, Bible Hub. This is our passage, John 21, 15. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. Um, so I highlighted the loves. And in English, they're always love. And that's not wrong. It just doesn't help you really get it. So in Bible Hub, um, you can uh, see that we're in John 21. We're in uh, New American Standard 95. And uh, we're looking, and, and Strong's is opened, if you will. So what I do is I click on interlinear, and I get this. Wow, there's a lot. Okay, are you overwhelmed? Don't be. Let me just show you some simple things. When you read the brown words, they're the literal translation, if you will, of the Greek word. So, when, therefore, and they're, they're uh, in the order of the Greek so they don't order their words the same way we do in a sentence. When therefore they had dined, says to Simon Peter, Jesus, Simon Peter, son of John, do you love me more than these? Or love you me more than these? He says to him, yes, Lord, you know that I dearly love you. He says to him, feed the lambs of me. And then he goes into verse 16. So that's one thing. The top row is your strongest numbers. And if you just hover over them, it gives you a very brief summary of the definition. 
if you click on them, it'll take you into um, a, a big long thing, very similar to the Bible Hub. Uh, Agapes, uh, the, the second row, is the transliteration, the English letters that say the word as it should sound in Greek. Then you have the original Greek right through the middle, and the bottom tells you what it is. It's an adverb, it's a conjunction. Um, agape here is, in this case, it's a verb. It's in present tense. It's indicative, which means it's just a statement of fact. And it's active, it's in second person singular. Well, how do I know all that stuff? But in this, we'll get there in a sec. In this passage, you can quickly see, wait, these are different Greek words. The numbers are different. The pronunciation is different. So how do I know what they are? I plug them in here so you can see, Simon, son of John, do you agapao me more than these? Lord, you know I phileo you. You ask him again, do you agape me? I phileo. You ask me again, do you phileo me? That grieves Peter because he said to him the third time, do you phileo me? There's something there, folks. It bears looking into, right? Why did that grieve him? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I follow you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Peter was telling the truth. I don't really love you unconditionally that yet, right? He was being honest. I'm just going, wow. Um, so here's 2 Timothy 2, 15. Hasten yourself, approve to present to God a workman not ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. And um, how do I know what these are? Here's what slide I started to get into. If you actually click on that, you get this page. It tells you all those things. Or if you hover your mouse over it, it tells you that it's a verb Aorist, imperative, active, second person, singular. And an imperative is a command. That means this, this is what I'm telling you to do. And it's not an option, it's a command. So when we study Friday nights, we try to get the outline of the passage, 2 Timothy 2.15. What I do is I like to highlight the verbs. Those are the action words. I highlight them in yellow. When I have a command, I put a different color highlighter right over the top of it. Then I can easily spot on my page what they are. It really helps you observe what is being said and handle it appropriately. And then I write the Strong's numbers down and the definitions. And it helps me um, know what's being talked about there. Get a feel, a sense for what is going on here. And sometimes, Arist N A. Well, I know it's Arist and it's active. I can't remember what the N is. So I wrote it down. N equals infinitive. It's the word to. In other words, to present is the idea here. That's all that means. But down here, we've got a present tense participle A. Well, okay, active. What's a participle? It's action occurring in association with the main verb, which was this one. Huh. Now I understand what's going on here. It's, it's helpful. Um, one, one more here, Matthew 28, 19 is another example. You're all familiar with this, the Great Commission, right? 
Go therefore into, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I was told where to go. If you're not being a missionary, you're wrong. You need to be out there and going. In my early pre-saved days of church life. Well, what's interesting is it's a verb, aorist tense, which means whenever you're going, when you're going. Participle, okay, so we said that kind of defines action on the, on the main verb, so it's not the main verb, and it's passive. So you might better translate that as wherever you're going, as you are going wherever you're going, or words to that effect, here's the command, disciple. Having gone, therefore, disciple all the nations, baptizing them, another verb, didn't highlight it on this, teaching them. Those are the two action words. In the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. Um, so this is a verb. It's aorist, aorist and it's, it's very, time isn't a factor in it, but it's an imperative. It's a command, and it's active. You are to actively disciple these people as you go wherever you're going. So remember, even baby steps are better than, better than no steps in going from black and white to the full color of God's love letter to us. Learning to use study tools is very rewarding. It really is. We started using them because they are so helpful, they aren't hard to use, and they are readily available. So thank you for putting up with that. It's an exposure, like I said. If I can get it, you guys can get it. Pat is not a computer whiz. Pat uses these all the time. They're easy to use, easy to understand. Once you learn some of the basics, it's like any new skill you're learning. So as these slides illustrate, as we wrap up, a little time and study can really add to our perspective and our excitement about the Word of God. It's like seeing in color rather than black and white. So the prophet, the Apostle Paul, tells us in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable, like we talked about, for teaching, reproof, correction, for training in righteousness, big deal. Right? He goes on, so that, in order that, the man of God, the human of God may be adequate, may be perfect as, as translated. You've got everything you need for every, equipped for every good work. By recognizing the entire Bible is profitable to us, we can then handle even the most difficult passages more effectively with proper observation, interpretation, and application. Now, Jack hauled a bunch of books out, out of his library there. He has a lot more in-depth tools and a lot more training on these things than, than the rest of us do. Um, and, and he is very, um, very useful resource, helpful to ask. I asked him the other day, how do I know this isn't that or this is that? And um, you, you can always ask, you know, go to people that have more tools or more um, knowledge than you. 
So with this approach to study, yes, it is sometimes hard work. But that's what he expects of us. We love him. What do we call love? Sacrificial devotion. That's what agape, that's a good summary of that whole concept of, of agape. Sacrifice, it's gonna cost you. Devotion, you're devoted to it. You're willing to work hard for it. What's more important than your relationship with God? You know, he says nothing. And equally important, or almost the second important, is relationship with those around you. It's amazing. So with this approach to study, and it is hard work, you can usually discern God's meaning to the writing that he inspired. Then you know whether what you're learning is from God or simply your opinion. So what's the take home? What is this to me? What is this to you? Again, Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments in John 14, 15. In Acts 17, 10 and 11, the Bereans were commended for being, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. They wanted to know, does this really fit what God said and what they had for scriptures then was what we would call the Old Testament. God commands us to love him, to handle his word accurately. How can we do that if we don't read his word and understand it? We're without excuse. There's some study helps out there that are in the thousands of dollars. We've got some very helpful ones that are free to us very easy to attain. Um, God makes it clear that obedience is key. He's consistent all the way through. Told, uh, Samuel told Saul, you know, to obey is better than sacrifice. And Jesus tells us, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. You obey my commandments. How can we obey his commands if we don't know them? or if we don't understand what they are. They don't know, we don't know what they mean. So this may have been a bit intensive. Um, and as I said earlier, both Pat and I, and I would guess Linda, she also uses these tools, and maybe, maybe others um, would be willing. I'm, I'm willing to help the men with these things. Um, Pat and Linda are willing to help um, Women that want to just come over and spend time in the Word. And how do I use this? And, you know, we've got them. We can put it on your phone, uh, your little iPad or tablet type thing, and in your computer, all those things. Um, are they always right? No. But they give you some insights and some depth that you may not, that you simply won't get just by reading the Word. It's translated. It's not the original language. We're not the people it was written to originally. And we don't live in that culture. And we don't understand the things the way they would with their, their context of life. And we need to be careful that we recognize that. Remember, baby steps are definitely better than no steps in growing in your interest and in your ability and your... Um, desire to study God's word, to help us get from black and white to the full color and the richness of his love letter to us. Let's pray. 
Father, we do thank you. Um, we are reading someone else's mail. None of these passages were written to us. They're for us. They're profitable to us. But Lord, they were written in a time, in a different language, in a different culture, a different context than what we're in. So may we be careful to understand that and to handle your word accurately. To be people who are committed to really understanding what your word says so that we can apply it appropriately. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for this amazing love letter. I'm just amazed, Lord, every time I'm in it, just how you impress me with the relevance and the truths that you have there for us. Thank you so much for this time together and for your love for us expressed through your love letter. We praise you and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Sure.